Morning. Morning. You want to turn to Nehemiah? We're going to kind of review chapter 4 and also read chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be. Just by way of review, two weeks ago we talked about faith, how Nehemiah's response to trials was, we could sum it up in one word, faith, trusting God, and just talked about the importance of faith. And throughout the whole Bible, one way we can read the Old Testament, every single chapter, either an example of people who had faith in, in God or people who didn't. And one is an example to follow and one would be an example to avoid. But faith is huge in the Christian life, uh, very important. Probably, I would say in terms of our priorities, um, explicitly in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love you know, is number one, but also it talks about faith there. So faith probably is right there. Hard to even distinguish when we, between love in some situations. But high up on the Christian priority list is faith. And so we want to have faith, not just know the right information, not just say that Jesus died for our sins, but actually be trusting him with our sins, with our soul, and with our life day to day. We don't want to just trust God with the big things and live day to day not trusting God with the things that come into our life, whether that's trials like Nehemiah, whether that's people, what they say to you, what they say about you, all these different things that happened to Nehemiah, um, the response was faith in God. And so we want our response to be faith in every situation, not just for the big things, but for everything in our life. And so that's kind of what we, we talked about. But now we're going to, Lord willing, talk about more of the specifics, because faith would be the broad category, but we're going to kind of nail it down a little bit more and look at the different opposition and trials that he faced. And I actually had an uh, illustration, physical illustration, that I forgot at home. <laughs> so... You're going to have to just bear with me, and I think you can imagine it. But it was basically what I had at home, which I forgot to bring, was just a rope with some knots tied in it. And the reason I was going to bring that was I thought it was kind of a good illustration I was thinking about uh, for the Christian life and trials. Because basically, imagine, imagine you're in Antarctica, which is basically like a white desert, right? Just like, as far as I can see, just kind of flat and white. And what would happen back when they were exploring Antarctica, like Shackleton and Mawson and, and those guys, is they would be, you know, trudging across what looked like just flat snow. But in actuality, there was big cracks um, in the ice, and snow would blow over it, and they would they would call it a snow bridge. So it would look just totally flat, but actually, you're walking over this thin bridge of snow covering a giant chasm, and you have no idea. And so they would fall through. Um, and just they wouldn't know when it was coming. And it's just totally random. Um, so you can imagine that. Imagine you're out in this, you know, basically white desert, and there's snow everywhere, super cold, and you're walking, and at any moment you could be walking over a chasm and just fall through like that. Um, pretty scary. But what, uh, I can't remember the name of the TV show, but Bear Grylls does this, like, survival stuff. Um, and he said... That basically what they would tell you to do now is take a long rope and tie a bunch of knots in it and just drag it behind you and tie it to your waist. And as you're walking, it doesn't cost that much energy to drag this long rope with a bunch of knots 
uh, behind you, but as if you ever fell through the ice, the rope, the knots would grab into the snow and would hold you. All those, all those knots would have enough friction and they would dig into the snow and you would fall and you'd be caught by the rope. So all that is kind of a um, detailed <laughs> metaphor, but it really uh, describes, I think, the Christian life in many ways. Like you're walking through the Christian life and you know there's going to be trials at some point. And you're just walking along, but you don't know when it's going to happen. You have no idea if today's the day that you're going to go through something difficult. You don't know if the earth is going to drop out from under you emotionally, uh, financially, a thousand ways, circumstantially, family, with relationally. All these things, at some moment, you're going to face trials. It's not a surprise, but it is always a surprise when it happens. Does that make sense? It's not a surprise that it happens, but it's always a surprise when it happens. And so, you know, that idea of the rope being dragged behind you and having the knots in it to grab into the snow and to hold you up when it, when it does come, uh, it's kind of a good picture of the Christian life as well. Like, we have a, an anchor, which is God, and the connection to God is faith. Our rope is faith, but we want to tie the knots on our rope beforehand, right? Before, we don't want to come into a trial and think, oh, I better tie some knots, you know, or they wouldn't want to fall through and think, oh, I better get my rope out. <laughs> they need it there beforehand. And so in our life, we're going to face trials like Nehemiah. And you are going to face a trial, and it will be a surprise um, when, it, when it happens. Not that it happens, but when it happens. And what are we going to have our anchor in, and where are we going to place our hope? And so the ultimate answer is God. But we're going to try and build up a few different specifics, so maybe some knots in the rope um, as a metaphor, metaphorical way to say anchors. So let's look at, uh, starting in chapter 4, let's just look at all the different ways. Uh, We're skipping chapter 5, and we're going to come back to it, because 4 and 6 fit together better um, thematically, uh, trials and opposition, and then we'll come back to 5. So we're going to, we already read four, so we're going to review some of it, and then we're going to read all of six, but I'm going to go through it piece by piece. So first, let's just look at all the different types of trials that Nehemiah and the builders faced in this time of rebuilding the wall. So let's start at the very beginning, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 5. And the first type of trial was exaggeration or sarcasm here from, from these um, those watching them build the wall. So Nehemiah 4, 1 to 5. Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, and he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So let's pause right there. So that's the opposition. People making fun of them and exaggerating what they're doing, being sarcastic. Are you going to finish the wall in a day? You know, of course, they, they, no one was planning to finish the wall in a day. They're just making it sound ridiculous to discourage them. And they jeered at them. So that could be maybe names. We don't know exactly, but we know that they were sarcastic. They were jeering, they're making fun of them, so this verbal attack. And then what does Nehemiah do in response? Let's read 4 and 5 here. He prays, starting in verse 4. Hear 
O our God, for we are despised, turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be plotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Just a short note. I don't, you know, you always ask when you're reading the Old Testament, is this descriptive? Is this just describing what happened? Or is this prescriptive? And, you know, Jesus talks about praying for enemies. This seems like he's kind of expressing some... Um, so, I don't think you should probably be praying like, God, never forgive this person. Um, I think it's descriptive in what he prayed, but it's prescriptive in the sense of where he went, right? He's pouring out his heart to God. So if you feel like that about someone, that you don't ever want God to forgive him, the person you should probably talk to is God. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that's where you should stay. So I'm not, um, I'm not saying you should pray this exactly, but we should definitely take it to God. Um, whenever we're in a situation like this. So that's the first opposition, is just this sarcasm and this attack, uh, verbal attack. So then the second one we could call inadequacy. And let's just jump down to verse 9 here. Um, Actually, verse 10, 410. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So the feeling of inadequacy here, the feeling like we're not going to be able to do it. And this was actually not from the outside. This was from Judah, so other Israelites who would benefit from Jerusalem being rebuilt. So they're basically saying we're not going to be able to do it. We don't have the strength. We're inadequate. And then what's the solution to that um, trial, that feeling? Look at verse 14 and 15. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So here the trial was feeling inadequate, and the solution is remember the Lord. It's not about how much you can do. It's not about how strong you are, it's about God. Remember God. It's not been about you. You're not adequate, but God is adequate. And so that's who they were. He was encouraging them to remember the Lord. Um, And just, I'll step back for just a second. I'm going to go through all these, and then at the end, we're just going to review, and I'm going to give it to you in a way that you could remember it. Um, A, uh, what do you call it? Acronym, I think. Is that, yeah, mnemonic, that's right. Uh, so I'm going to give you all these solutions in the word trials, so T-R-I-A-L-S, so you can remember them all. So I'm just going to go through them all, and then we'll go back over them in a way that maybe you can remember at least uh, one or two of them. So we're just going to go through them all, and then we'll come back through. And so we're going to hit them all here to start. 412, another part of the trial was just the persistence, just how long it lasts. Sometimes you're in a trial, and it's not that bad until it's one year, then two years, then three years, then four years. And the difficulty of it is the long-standingness, how long the trial lasts. And that's what happened here in Nehemiah as well, 4.12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So people just over and over and over telling them, quit, 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 quit. And the solution there is the same uh, that we talked about before, remembering the Lord um, is what Nehemiah tells them. Verse 11, he threatens their life. 
4.11. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So just a physical threat there. The, the solution to that, uh, what Nehemiah's response was, we'll read about in 4.16-23. So let's read that. From that day on, Half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And on each of the builders, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Uh, 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held out the spears from, from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, so that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his hand, at his right hand. Now jump to chapter 6, and it's fairly short, but we're going to read the other trials here that they faced. Distraction is the first one. Lies about them is the second. And then compromise is the last. So I'll just go over all of them one more time here. Sad, exaggeration, sarcasm, and jeering. I'll put that all together. Inadequacy, the persistence of the, of the trial, the threats, the distractions, the lies, and the compromise. So let's start in 6.1. This is distraction. Now, when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hak-Ephraim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop while I leave it and come down to you? Four. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Let's stop right there. So the first thing is distraction. He's trying to get him to come away from the wall and come away from what he's supposed to be doing, come away from what God had him to do, distracting him. But the, his response is to stand firm in what he knows what God wants him to do. And he basically says, I can't come down. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Why should I, do, why should I come down to you? And so his, he stayed focused there. And then the second is lies. Here so they begin to tell lies about them. Verse 6. And it was written, It is reported among the nations in Geshem. Also it says, That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of the reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their, that their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So, 
Again, they just lied about them. They said they were trying to rebel when they weren't. And the response was, again, prayer, asking for strength from God. And then the final different aspect of the trial was a bit different. And so this one was more internal. They're trying to get Nehemiah to sin, basically, and to discredit himself by compromising. So this is verse 10 to the end of the chapter. So just a little bit of background as you read this. It would have been wrong and against the law for Nehemiah to go into the temple that was only for the priests. And so that's what he's trying to get him to do. He's trying to get him to sin and go into the, uh, this inner chamber where he's not allowed because he's not a Levite. So verse 10 is where we'll start. Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and son of Methtable, who was confined to his home, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. And I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pr- pronounced the prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Samlet had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And remember remember Tobiah and Sambalot, my God. So again, he's praying. According to these things they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So, and this is what the result is, as they stand up under all these trials. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in, in, and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Sechaniah, the son of Ara, the son of Jehonan, and had and the son of Jehonan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechai, as his wife. They also spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Okay, so that was a lot, but I wanted to get kind of you to give the feel of all the different sides that a trial can come, different aspects, you know, different ways that this was difficult. Just one of those would be hard, but all of them together is, was really intense. And so what do we do? Like you may be facing just one or many of these in the near future. And the question is, how do you handle it? You know, and what's the example of Nehemiah? And there's a lot of examples. And like we said, the overarching example is faith. Trust the Lord. Turn to the Lord. But there's some specific things he did. And I tried to think, well, if I have six points, nobody's going to remember them all. So I tried to think of a way that I could do it where you would remember them. So they're not in any particular order other than the way that's most memorable. So I'm going to give you all the things that Nehemiah did specifically in with the acronym trial, TRIALS, T-R-I-A-L-S. So the first one is tell the truth. So like I said, no particular order, just to help you remember them. So you come into a trial, tell the truth. So in response to the lies, he told the truth. He said, I sent to them, I want you to see where I got this, just so you you know I'm not making this up. In um, Nehemiah 6.8, he says, 
Then I sent to them, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. So his response to the lies was just, Tell the truth. When you come into a trial, one thing that's really important is just tell the truth. Don't resort to exaggerating or, or any of the you know, other things. Just tell the truth. Really, really important. Um, you know, it reminds me of a story when I had my first job. And this is kind of, I think I may have told this story before. But it's not a good example. It's the wrong example. But I, was, I got this new job at this fancy restaurant, really nice restaurant. And one of my jobs was... It was so nice that, like, you, if you wanted a to-go box, you didn't load it yourself. They took it to the back, and they loaded it all up for you and put it in a bag. And I had to wear a tie, and I was just the person, like, filling the waters or cleaning the tables and stuff. It was, um, I, I can't remember if I already said this, but it was the only starred restaurant in the town I lived in. So was, I can't remember how many stars it was. Not five. <laughs> but um, it was a nice restaurant. And so one of my jobs was to take the people's food and put it in, in their little cartons. And just... To kind of set the stage, I was 16, and these were, like, really expensive things. So, like, a steak was, like, $50 and stuff, really expensive. So I, the first day I was there, I had took all this food back from somebody's table, and I was putting it in all these boxes, and this steak fell on the ground. And it was, like, I knew, like, wow, this is, like, 50 or $60, and it's my first day. And I just picked it up and put it in the box. And... I felt really bad, you know, afterwards, and the fact that I still remember it. It was just the wrong thing. I should have just told the truth. It was like a difficult situation, but it would be so much better to just say, this is what I did, I'm really sorry. Um, they probably would have been happy that I said it because they probably would have made them a whole other steak um, just so they, they didn't get upset, and then they would have had even more to eat. But anyways, I didn't do that. Um, it's just a good example it's like you get tempted to, like, you're in this pressure, and you think, what can I do to get out of it? And the answer is never to lie. It's always to tell the truth. And that really kind of combines with the idea of they're trying to get him to compromise. You just tell the truth. And if you did something wrong, just admit it. That's always going to be the best thing if you're in a trial. No matter what the situation is, just tell the truth. Um, that's the first thing. Tell the truth. So trials. Tell the truth are remember the Lord. This is huge. And in terms of... You know, priorities, this probably would be the first the first thing. But remember the Lord. That's what Nehemiah said to them. He said to the people, to the nobles, the officials, this is in chapter 4, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You come into a trial and you start thinking too much about yourself, you're going to be overwhelmed. It's like, yeah, you're going to feel inadequate. Yeah, we're inadequate when we come into trials. But we've got to remember the Lord. The Lord is great and awesome. The Lord is able. The Lord is sufficient, not us. And so we've got to look to him. We've got to have faith in him. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not that things are just going to get better. Our, th- our faith is not in the people around us. Our faith is not in our ability to fix it. Our faith is in God. And so we've got to remember the Lord. Take our eyes off ourselves. So many of these things, these trials that happened in Nehemiah, the solution is getting his eyes off himself and getting his eyes on the Lord. What does God want me to do? What does God think about what I'm doing? What does God say he's going to do to help me? How sufficient is God? How strong is God? All these things, he's looking to God instead of looking to himself. Because just think about how difficult this would be. He knows that for hundreds of years this wall has been, you know, uh, you know, torn to the ground. And he thinks, now I'm going to be the one that comes in and helps get this set up with just a few people in just a few days. I mean, it seems impossible. 
Well, the reality is it was for him. I mean, but it was God who orchestrated it. God who gave him good favor with the king to get all the supplies and letters to protect him. I mean, think about how difficult this was. But God provided him with just what he needed. Even just the letters to prove the king is okay with me doing this. And they had a lot of opposition despite that. And so God set them up and he brought the people in and they believed Nehemiah and listened to him and they all trusted the Lord and they were and they went forward. And it was God that did it. And that's what it really says there at the end of chapter 6 that whenever we read the Bible, we, the first question he asks is, what does this teach me about God? God's the one, God's the main character. And then we ask, you know, what does this teach me about me? How do I respond? But God is the one that's building the wall. It's not Nehemiah the hero, it's God who uses imperfect people to accomplish his work. And so we've got to remember the Lord, not look at ourselves, the circumstances, but look to the Lord. And then I, T-R-I, integrity, walk with integrity. It's very similar to tell the truth, but it's slightly different. They wanted Nehemiah to compromise, but he wouldn't. He refused. He says, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. He doesn't want to sin. He, even if it saves his life, even if it means the wall is being rebuilt, it's, he walks with integrity. If you have to resort in whatever trial you're going through to losing your integrity or to doing something you know is wrong, the ends don't justify the means. You don't do wrong things to get something good in the end. That's not going to work out. That's not going to honor God. It really ties back into remembering the Lord, too. I mean, what does God think about how I'm acting? What does God, what would God want me to do? If God wants something done, he's not going to give you an opportunity to do it by sinning. He's going to give you an opportunity to do it by walking with integrity. And so if you can't do it without sinning, then God didn't mean for you to do it. And so just trust trust the Lord and walk with integrity. Don't let the pressure of the situation cause you to sin. This happens, you know, I mean, we could talk about different stories in the Bible, but you know, you can see through this throughout the Bible that people get in these difficult situations and they sin. They, they turn from their integrity. And it, it doesn't go well. It's not honoring to God. It's not good for them. So we need to walk with integrity. Wherever you're at, whatever you're in, you can remember, what does God want me to do here? You know God wants me to walk in integrity. God wants me to tell the truth, remember the Lord, and walk with integrity. It's huge, you know, when you... Um, but the reality is, if you come into a trial, we want to walk in integrity. No matter what the world says is the right thing. So we want to walk in it with integrity. T-R-I. So tell the truth, remember the Lord. I, integrity, walk with integrity. And then A, ask for strength. So this is what Nehemiah prays in chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. He says, but now, O Lord, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. You know, when we look at ourselves, you get in a trial and you start looking at yourself and you feel, I'm not adequate. And it's like, we're not. We need to ask God, give me strength. God, help me. I need help. I need you to strengthen me because I don't feel like I can keep going like this. Maybe it's one of those deals where, just like Nehemiah, it's just over and over and over. And one of the hard pieces is not necessarily what's happening, but how long it's going on and how much. I mean, one person, you feel like this is what God wants me to do, and one person comes to you and tells you, quit. This isn't what God wants you to do. And that's hard, but it's like, well, but God wants me to do this. And then two, and then three, and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven. And then it gets to ten, and then it says all the people of Judah, <laughs> right? And so difficult. It's, that's a trial. It's like you start questioning yourself, and it's like, God, if you want me to do this, 
you've got to give me strength. And that's how you may feel. You may be in a trial and it's like, man, I just don't know. I can't keep going on like this. And the reality is maybe you can't. But you can ask God for strength and he'll strengthen you. He'll give you grace. He'll help you. If he put you there, he's going to help you through it. And so we need to look look to him for strength. And then L. So I'm just going to go over them every time just so you maybe you'll remember them. Tell the truth. T. R. Remember the Lord. I. Integrity. A. Ask for strength. L. Labor. This is kind of one that I... If I was thinking about this, if I was going to just sit down and say, like, let's just give a message on trials to the people, what would I put in it? I would not have put labor in it. <laughs> um, but we're just looking at the text. And it's really amazing here, this text. I'm glad we preach through books because it kind of balances this out. You know, it's not just your emphasis all the time. Because there's a lot of work that goes on in this, you know. And um, although he's trusting the Lord, he's also doing a lot of labor. Right? So people are threatening to kill him, and what do they do? They say, well, let's give everybody a sword and let's all stay up at night. It's like, well, that's a lot of work. Don't you trust the Lord? It's like, well, yeah, I'm trusting the Lord, but I'm also doing what I can do, what God's asked me to do. And so that may be where you're at. I mean, maybe you're in a trial, and you sometimes people can get this false dichotomy, like, well, if I'm trusting the Lord, then I can't do anything about it. You know, well, I'm just trusting the Lord. It's like, well, it's not. Like we can see right here that God's pleased with Nehemiah, and he, took, he used the means, right? Not only did he trust the Lord, he also did what he could, and that may be for you. I mean, it's, like, it's not like it's a false dichotomy to say, well, I'm sick, but I'm not going to the doctor because I'm just trusting the Lord. Well, maybe, but going to the doctor doesn't necessarily mean you're not trusting the Lord. You may need to use what means you have to go forward, you know? Um, you may say, you know, you know, it could even be as simple as, you know, overweight or some other trial in your life. It's like, well, I'm really wanting to slim down, but I'm just trusting the Lord. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, there might be some effort involved there, you know, and maybe God wants that. You know, he's giving you the means. He can help you and you can trust him, but he's also giving you means to go forward and to labor. You know, think about even just our daily food. It's like we are commanded in the Lord's Prayer, pray. Give us this day our daily bread. But then later on in the New Testament it says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And so it's both. We're trusting the Lord to provide for us, but we're also expected to go work, right, and plant. And if all of us said this week, well, I'm not, I'm not going to work, but I am trusting the Lord for my food, God might say to us, well, you better start get to work. <laughs> That's what he would say. And so the reality is, is that we don't want to get in this mindset that we can't do something about our trial, right? If somebody says, you know, something that's not true to you, you know, about you or something, you can say, that's not true. Or if there's some situation where some there's some trial, you have the ability to go ahead and do something about it. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not trusting God. It's possible to run out ahead of God and not be trusting him, but we also don't want to go to the other extreme where we never do anything uh, because we're always trusting the Lord when God may be asking us to actually step out. Um, Somebody said this to me uh, one time, basically. It's not always spiritual to get punched in the face. You can duck. <laughs> that is basically the way they said it. It's like somebody's coming at you and it's, you know, they're oppressing you. It's like it's not wrong to go ahead and just duck. <laughs> or, you know, like, for example, um, this is just a little example, not really a huge trial or whatever, but, like, 
when we would pass out tracks downtown, sometimes at the bars, the bar owners would give us trouble and threaten us. <laughs> a big, they'd send out the whatever those guys are called that bouncers, bouncers yeah, um, and yell at us or whatever. But you know, is it what could we do? I mean, it's like well, one thing we d- I did is I went to the police and asked, you know, am I in the wrong if I'm passing out tracks on the sidewalk? Like, and they said, as long as you're not standing in front of the door, you have every right, you know. Like, but don't block the door or anything. I was like, okay, perfect. And so the next time we did that, I told them, I was like, well, I talked to the police, and they said, it's fine if I pass out tracks wherever I want as long as I'm not blocking the door or causing a problem. And they left me alone. So, um, you know, we can labor. We can do what we can to try and ameliorate the trial. And in this case, it was literally get swords. So you can draw what conclusions you want from that. I have friends that would never, like, defend their home um, or anything like that if somebody broke in because they're, they take some of the verses. I would take this verse to say you could probably just go ahead and defend your home um, because if God's given you the body to do it and he's given you the people under you, the sword may be something else, but you can protect um, and do what you can do to protect the people under you, your family, your kids, and um, that may be what God's given you is a body and wakes you up at night or whatever that is, whatever the case is. So we tell the truth, we remember the Lord, we walk with integrity, we ask for strength, we labor, do what we can. You know, well, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to show you this verse from Exodus. It's really easy to remember because it's 14.14, Exodus 14.14. Because it's kind of, you can get this idea where it's unbalanced, you know, where you're just, it's always waiting on the Lord. Like, don't ever do anything, just let the Lord do it, which... I think we should always trust the Lord, but there's times when we're supposed to act. It's kind of an interesting verse because I remember, actually, Zach, who was here last week, one time I was talking to him about, you always need to wait on the Lord, and I was really far on that end of the maybe the balance where it was like, just wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, don't act, don't do anything. And I quoted this verse to him from Exodus 14.14, 14, and he quoted me the next verse, which is pretty amazing. Um, so 14.14, 14, just so we get the context, let's start on 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the, found- the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. So this is when the Egyptians are coming towards them, and God parts the sea, you know. And so he's telling them, just calm down, don't be afraid. God will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. And so I quoted this verse to Zach, like, just wait on the Lord. Always wait on the Lord. You know, like, don't... You don't need to go ahead and like do too much because God's going to you know, help and he's going to do it. And, he's, and he quoted me the next verse, which says the opposite side, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So it's like sometimes if God opens the, like literally divides the sea for you he, and you start praying like, well, God, is this really what you want me to do? He might say, I parted the sea, like you probably need to go forward. <laughs> like don't pray to me, like just go forward. I parted the sea, you know. And it's just a pretty amazing verse, really. And so it gives the balance. It's like, yeah, we want to wait on the Lord. We want to trust the Lord. But if God parts the sea, and you're basically certain this is what God wants you to do, you can trust the Lord and act. Like, you don't always have to just stand silent. So it kind of gives both sides. Um, and I like that verse, and I like the contrast there. Uh, it's kind of a good example. And so then the last one, this is another one that I would not have thought of back in Nehemiah that I would not have put on my message about trials, what would encourage you. And it's the S, T-R-I-A-L-S. Tell the truth, remember the Lord, walk with integrity, 
integrity. Ask for strength, labor, and then the last one is S. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to explain it, but it's sons and daughters. So look at Nehemiah. You're with me. I'm going to have to find it again. There we are. It's from chapter 4. We already read this, but it's kind of different. Do not be afraid of them, 4.14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord your God who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So sons and daughters. So, you know, one thing that might encourage you when you go through a trial is to remember, like, I'm not just doing this for me. Like, what, how is this going to affect my kids later on, the next generation? And it's really important to think about that because there's difficult things in your life, and as you bear them, it can help your kids not to. Um, and you're preparing for them. You're laying a foundation for them. And remember, it, again, it's, getting, it's similar to getting your eyes off yourself and remembering the Lord, but in this case, it's getting your eyes off yourself and remembering the next generation, basically. And the reality is, is sometimes you have to take a difficult stand, and it's costly to you. And it might think, you might think, man, is this worth it? But you, looking forward, you might think, but I've got to lay this foundation for my kids, even though it's hard right now. There's a couple stories that really illustrate this. And actually, um, back in the 19, I'm going to pull up the, it's kind of a, it's a lengthy quote, so I'm going to just kind of summarize, and then I'm going to read you just a little part of it. So basically, okay, so some back story, World War II history, if you know or don't know this. but So, you know, the concentration camps were in Germany, and they had a lot of um, Jewish people and other, other, other people there, disabled people, even disabled World War I veterans, which is really sad. I don't know if you realize that, but they put, if someone got injured in World War I in Germany fighting for, um, fighting for Germany, and they became disabled, they thought, well, they're not worth anything, so we'll go ahead and get rid of them too, which is so sad. Um, and so there was Jews, but there was also Germans and, and other, other people in the, in the camps. And Hitler didn't actually come up with that idea. He got it from Russia, where they had their own concentration camps. They called them a different name. Gulags is what they called them. But Hitler liked the idea, so he decided, I'm going to do that too. That's a good idea. You know, you people you don't like, let's just put them all in a camp. And so... All that happened, you know, we won World War II, and, which is praise the Lord, we did, and, the, you know, we discovered these camps, and we discovered these camps in Nazi Germany, and, and they basically had all these trials to say, like, this was wrong, you were murdering, and, and this is, you know, you're going to be punished. And so by 1966, 86,000 Germans had been tried and convicted for war crimes, which... Think about that, 86,000. They're a lot smaller country than we are. 80, that's a lot of people. And so they're basically going back over all that happened and said, I know you were obeying orders, but this was wrong. But meanwhile, there was just as many camps, maybe even worse, in Russia. And in 1966, 10 Russians had been tried. 10 compared to 86,000, which is crazy. And so one of the Russians basically wrote this in 1966, basically saying, this is wrong, um, and you'll see why I'm relating this to thinking about the next generation and the sons and our daughters. And this is what he says. For the sake of our country and our children, we have the duty to seek all these criminals. 
seek them all out and bring them to trial, not to put them on trial so much as their crimes to put their crimes on trial, and to compel each one of them to announce loudly, Yes, I was an executioner and a murderer. And if these words were spoken in our country only one quarter of a million times, so he's saying that's how many, to get up to 86,000 proportionally to what Germany had, Russia's a little bit bigger, so they'd have to have a quarter of a million. Would it perhaps be enough? It's unthinkable that in the 20th century to fail to distinguish between what constitutes an abominable atrocity that must be prosecuted and what constitutes the past which ought not to be stirred up. We have to condemn publicly the very idea that some people have the right to repress others in keeping silent about evil and bearing it so deep that no sign of it appears on the surface. If we do, it will rise up a thousandfold in the future when we neither punish nor reproach evildoers. We are not simply protecting their trivial old age. We are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath the new generation. So basically he's saying, look, these guys are 80 years old, okay? And they did all these horrible things, and people are all saying, just leave it. You know, it's in the past. They're 80. And he's saying, you've got to think about your sons and your daughters. And we've got to say this was wrong, because otherwise we're ripping up the foundations of justice, and we're saying this we're, evil doesn't go punished. Evil's unpunished. This is not wrong. And so we're just, he's saying, it's not justice. It's not going to be justice when somebody who did something terrible you know, goes to jail for two or three years or whatever um, because they're so old when they get a lifetime sentence. Um, That's not justice. But what it is doing is laying a foundation for the next generation to say this is wrong and we're calling it wrong. Something actually really similar happened here in the U.S., similar story. And so this kind of relates back. I'm going to tie this last story back into, you know, my illustration. It's like you're walking along at the very beginning, you know, on Antarctica, and you don't know when, the, you know, the ice is going to fall from under you, but you need a rope to hang on to. You need faith. You need an anchor. Uh, in this case, some knots. And I would say that these six points would be kind of, uh, metaphorically, knots in your rope to catch you when you fall into a trial. To tell the truth, remember the Lord, walk with integrity. Ask for strength, labor, and remember your sons and your daughters. But, so in 1963, this is a story that we can kind of relate all these points together. In 1963, there was families on their way to church, and they all went to church at 16th, at 16th Street Baptist Church in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, and they're on their way to church, and it was September 15th, 1963, and you know what was going on at the time, if you don't know the history, but there was a lot of um, you know movement in terms of you know, seeking equality because a hundred years before the slaves had been emancipated, but yet there wasn't still equality in terms of African Americans. And this was an African American church. And so uh, somebody was upset about all that was going on. And so they bombed this church and only four people died. And they're all um, girls under 10, a specific Sunday school class. It really sad. So you can imagine the parents' perspective, right? You're, it's just like Antarctica. You're walking along you never expect to fall through the ground, but when your kid dies in Sunday school, it's like it's just like the ground dropping out from under you, you know. Um, and that's what happened. The sad thing is, um, it took until the late '90s and 2000s before those guys uh, were convicted. Um, it's so crazy. I can't even believe that. So they were really old at the time, and I think 
one guy specifically, one of them died before, one of them in the midst of their trial died, and then another guy finally was convicted in 2001, but he died in 2004. And so it wasn't justice. You know, it really wasn't, you know. Um, they had protected these guys, and there was proof or whatever that they did it. But it was just, you know, sad that they didn't get, ju- you know, tried until 2001. Um, but the reality is, why do it, you know? When they're that old, it's like, the reason is for your sons and your daughters, right? You just say, like, look, this was wrong. This was deeply wrong, and so we're going to say, stand up for justice, even if it's difficult, Um because we're thinking of the next generation. And so, very sad deal. Uh, but all that is to say, whatever happens, you know, the, the reality is, is you're going to go through a trial, and you don't know when, but you will. And it'll be a surprise, but I'm hoping that this will help you, and you can remember even just one or two of these as you go through something difficult. We can take our example from Nehemiah to look to the Lord, so have faith. It could be the the whole rope, but then maybe some of these specific knots in the rope of telling the truth, remembering the Lord, walking with integrity, asking for strength, laboring as we're able, and remembering our sons and our daughters. And so, just by way of conclusion, I want to remind you, you know, I was thinking about this message and praying and thinking about this coming week, and the thing that I don't want, I really don't want, is just this to be more information, you know? I mean, it's like we know so much about God and the Bible already. It's like, well, what about living it, you know? Like, what if, I mean, what if I preached a good sermon, quote-unquote, where it's like, oh, it was entertaining, or I, I was engaged, or I'm glad you, you know, brought out some things I didn't know, and, and all that, but then it never applied to your life. It didn't change your life at all. It's like, what does that matter, you know? Um we want to move beyond just knowing to living this out. And so my hope is not just that you're like, well, that was kind of interesting, kind of memorable. No, it's like, I want you to actually use this, you know. It'd be like somebody saying, you know, learning how to do all that, you know, those ropes if they're walking through Antarctica and not doing it. You know, just like, well, I know how to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Well, what is that? That doesn't do any good, right? And so it's the same for us. It's like, what do we want out of Sundays? We want to know about God more. We want to worship God. We want to fellowship. We don't want to go home and just file all this information in a file cabinet that never gets used, right? We want, I would much rather you remember almost nothing, maybe just like a kernel of the sermon, and it actually is sown into your life and changes your life, right? That's what really matters. Uh, we want to really trust. We don't want to just say we trust the Lord. We want to actually trust the Lord. We don't want to just rem- say, oh, yeah, I can quote the verse, remember the Lord, who's great and awesome. We want to actually remember the Lord in our trials, right? And so we want the reality. And it's so easy to just hear, and it's like, here we come every week, we're just going to listen to some information. Hopefully it's clear, and hopefully, you know, the scripture reading isn't too boring, and there's not too many names or whatever um, that get mispronounced. And we get some information, and we move on with our day. It's like, no, we want to trust God actually in our lives. We want to move forward. And when the earth, you know, metaphorically drops out from under us and a trial comes, that we have something that we actually hold on to, that we react differently than we would have otherwise, that we do trust the Lord, that we do walk in integrity, that we do think about our kids as we're walking through these difficulties, you know, all these things. And so my plea to you is don't let this be information. And, you know, I want 
if I'm going to have an emphasis and hit a drum beat, you know, like over and over, um, that's going to be the emphasis for me, for us as a church is like, man, we know a lot, right? We do. We have a lot of information, but I really want us to live it out every week, you know, and walk in faith in your everyday life, trusting the Lord with your sins, your soul, your life, and every little thing, because it's not enough just to know it. Um, we've got to live it. And what a sad deal to read the Bible every day and, and not actually hold on to something real um, and have it change our lives. And so this is what we're wanting. This is my prayer for you and and my plea to you is um, that even if it's only one of the things that that actually applies in your life, that you take it and don't think about it just as information, but think about it as this is real. There's a real God, and this is actually supposed to affect my life. And so that's what we want, and that's um, my burden for you. You know, one way we might say it is, I mean, think about just the burden uh, of coming every week. It's like, that's good. We want, that's a right thing is to come every week. Or reading your Bible every day, that's good. But let's move beyond that. Like, let's take just a, just, just change your mindset just a tiny bit. Not just coming, not just hearing, but applying. Not just reading, but um, applying it to your life. I mean, think about, uh, this is just back on the idea of we want more than just information. Think about the difference in a year if I say, let's read, let's all read the Bible this year. I think that would be good. But think about the exact same thing just changed just a little bit, and we turn it from just information, just reading to applying. Let's all pray through the Bible this year. That would be really different, right? It's like taking what's said, the information, and then digesting it into our own life and giving it back out to God. How much more of an impact would that be if we said, let's pray through the Bible this year, and let's just not read the Bible. In each chapter, let's pray and say, God, help me to be like this. Help me not to be like this. Help me to trust you like this. Help me to avoid doubting you like this. You know, all these things. That's, it's just a little change in mindset that makes a huge difference. And it's the same with, you know, preaching. It's like, we don't want to just listen. Let, maybe we pray over these things. You know, pray over Nehemiah 6. Um, pray over just trials. You could just say a simple prayer as you go home. God, I don't know when the next trial is coming, but I want to trust you and I need help. Think about how big a difference that would make. You're actually giving it to God, actually doing something, not just uh, information. So that's my encouragement to you, and the Lord will help us. We can ask for strength.